one of us in this room, uh, we have hearts that are deceitful above all else, Scripture tells us. So that means that our hearts are lying to us each and every day, which means you've woken up this morning and you've been listening to lies without even thinking about it. So it's important for us to hear from some. So I want to read from Psalm 8 and true, to speak truth back to our hearts. So I want to read from Psalm 8. I'm going to um, read just a few verses there, skipping around a little bit, then I'll pray for us, and then we'll get started. Uh, this is God's Word. Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all these and infants. You have established above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and all the earth? Let's pray. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Father, your glory, your majesty is far beyond what we can comprehend. Lord, as the psalmist just described your as your creature, your glory is infinite and eternal. And we, as your creatures, we are finite. And so we, we can read truths about how marvelous you are, about how vast your creation is. And Lord, we can grasp that to a certain extent that we are a creation. We cannot fully um, understand all of who you are. Father, we thank you for the truth that we already sang this morning. Uh, we thank you for this week where we get to open up your word. We get to hear from it as we said something that is 100% the world is lying to us because our hearts are lying to us, because this world is lying to us. We are impacted by, by lies all the time. So God, we need to hear from you. We need to hear from your truth. Father, you know all the, those who are present in this with. You know what's going on in their lives. You know the stresses, the anxiety that they, they deal with. You know the anxieties that they, they have back home. So we call upon you, you Spirit, uh, to speak truth to us, to teach us from your word. We ask that you would, uh, most of us, I'm sure, stayed up later. All of us have traveled. All of us, um, most of us, I'm sure, stayed up later last night. And so as we get into a room and we start to sit, we can uh, begin to get distracted and begin to get tired. And uh, Lord, we, we ask that you give us focus. We ask that you protect us from the evil one because the evil one, absolutely hates your it's the gospel and so we ask that you would help us to hear from that now that's uh, in your son's name i pray amen all right everyone um, my name is john parrott um, i'm the director of resources um, i've been on staff with rym about two and a half years um, mississippi and i was on staff was uh, the youth director at Perilwood Presbyterian Church in Ridgeland, Mississippi, and I was on staff there for over 12 years and then did some youth ministry prior to that. Um, my wife's name is Ashley. We've been married 16 years. Uh, we have five children. Uh, they're all here this week, so you might uh, 
Um, but yeah, they're here in the back and hearing screaming and stuff like that. I go ahead and apologize. Um, but yeah, they're here all this week. Um, just to let you know, too, uh, I was actually sick yesterday. <laughs> so I'm feeling a lot better today. Um, but if I pass out on the stage, just kind of ignore me. Y'all can gradually just leave that. Um, we couldn't get my, hopefully I'll be okay. Um, also, too, on top of that, um, we couldn't get my computer plugged in up here. So it's in the back, um, along with all of my notes. So I'm trying to do this without notes. Um, we'll see how well that goes. This might last like five minutes, um, but we'll, we'll see. It's going to help. So we can thank Randy in the back for helping out back there. He was trying really hard to get it going, and he's going to help. So, Randy, let's go to the next slide. Um, I might be communicating to him. So, look, here's our outline for this week. Um, today we're going to be defining worry. We're going to be asking, uh, what is stress? What is anxiety? What is worry? On day two, we're going to be asking, why not worry? All right? Why, why shouldn't we worry? It seems like there's plenty to worry about, and so why not worry? And then on the last day, how should we deal with worry? Um, hopefully giving you guys some practical ways in which you can deal with your anxiety as you leave here. Um, so that, that's just a brief outline of what we're going to, what we plan to cover uh, this week. Um, Randy, you can go to the next slide. Um, I wanted to start off with some disclaimers, and I think I have four bullet points if you want to uh, put these up. The first is, I'm not an expert. Uh, that's the first thing that I, I want to, to say. And I guess, does anybody know what a disclaimer is? How would you define disclaimer when I throw that out there? Yes. Can you talk louder? Sorry. Like a weakness? Is that what you said? All right. Any other ideas of what disclaimer is? Yes. Okay. Someone who makes speaking up. I'm going to do... Um, really, I think kind of the, the dictionary definition with, thank you all for speaking up. I'm going to do that. When I ask questions, it would be great to, to have you raise your hands and speak up. So that's, that's great. Really kind of relieving me of some responsibility of some things. Um, and so when I say I'm, I'm not an expert, um, there's a sense in which I can say, yes, I am an expert because I, so I experience worry and anxiety just like all of you do. Um, so there's a sense in which I can say, yes, I'm an expert because of that. But there's another sense in which I would say I'm not an expert because if you want to put the next bullet point up there, um, there are a lot of different thoughts about anxiety. I'm like even putting anxiety disorders up there um, or not. And so when, when I put that up there, um, what I'm saying is that there are certain areas I'm not going to be getting into, into this class. Um, I, I mean, for an example, another important thing to put up, Randy, um, there are physiological issues uh, that we could deal with when we're talking about anxiety. And I know when you use a word like physiological, what I mean, 50 in the morning, some of you like just fell asleep to see a, a word like that this early in the morning. What I mean is there are some people, for example, who have a heart arrhythmia. Do you know what a heart arrhythmia is? That's where your heart just naturally beats faster than, other, than, than the normal uh, heartbeat. And so raise your hand awake in this room. Anyone, okay? Good. That shows many of you are still awake. Um, typically, when you get anxious, your heart begins to beat fast. Your palms might get sweaty. And so what I'm saying is people have a heart arrhythmia. Their heart is already beating fast constantly. 
And so they can feel more anxious because of a physiological disclaimer I want to bring up. So that could be some of you in this room. And then kind of the, the last disclaimer I want to bring up is the fact that I'm not going to get into medicine. Randy, if you want to put that up. I'm not getting into that discussion. Um, th there are some people who um, might consider medication. If you're parent, that's obviously a matter for prayer, a matter for you to discuss with your parents, and obviously a medical professional, which I am not. <laughs> and so I put these disclaimers up um, for a few reasons. One is, since we have three days to talk about a very broad topic, I want to narrow our focus. So I just want to mention these up front so you know as we talk about anxiety, as we talk about worry. And so I just want to mention these up front so you know kind of the direction that I'm heading in. Um, again, just a room this size, there are going to be a lot of people who have a lot of thoughts about this topic. And so I want to be very sensitive to that and to say we have freedom to about this issue, but just kind of letting you know some of the areas that I, I plan to get into. And so let's begin by defining what, you know, asking the question, what is anxiety? What is worry? What is stress? And kind of having all these, these words up here to say, I'm going to be using these words interchangeably. So if you hear me just say, to know as we talk about anxiety and stress, or I might just say anxiety, I'm talking about worry and stress, but to, to know as we go through this, I'm using these interchangeably, uh, just to let you know that up front. So let's look at some characteristics of worry. Okay, what is worry? We could say worry or anxiety is a desire to control people in circumstances. Anxiety that are out of our control. That worry and anxiety, that it is a desire to control people in circumstances that are out of our control. There's a sense in which it's really just a control issue. That there's something going on around us in our environment that we don't like. There's something going on around us that is bothering us, and we just want to control it so we can make our anxiety stop. So the second bullet point, this is putting it fairly strong. Look, it is a desire to be God. We can say that if we really start digging down at the root of our worry, we can say it's a desire to be God. Because, listen, the easy question to start out, who's in control of everything? God. God. Okay? God is in control of absolutely everything. But when we are wanting control over certain things, there's a sense in which we are wanting to be God. We are wanting to be in control. And then lastly up there, um, the last bullet point is digging down to the heart. There's a sense in which we're saying, God, you do not exist. This is what our worry is in control. We need to think about there's a sense in which this is what our worry is communicating. When we are so anxious about things going on in our life, and we begin to get so stressed about certain things, there's a sense in which what our actions are communicating is exactly this. Life right now, and I'm so handling this. God, this thing is going on in my life right now, and I'm so anxious about it. And you are not handling it, so I've got to handle it. There's a sense in which that is what is being communicated. 
I know Tim Lane in his book, Living Without Worry, of some books, if I'm not mistaken, he does a book table. He's going to be back here. I think he gets here today, and he's going to be setting up some books, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that'll be a book that's, that's on there. Uh, Tim Lane just says it's, it's an over-concern, okay? It's an over-focus on what is going on in your life. And he says that as we look at the, the words worry and from an old English word, that means tightness of the throat or tightness in your chest. And so let me ask you, if any of you have had any kind of panic attack in your life, you can think of just that tightness of your chest and your, your throat closing up. I'll raise your hands if you know who John Piper is. The man John Piper. Have you all heard of John Piper? Raise your hands if you know who John Piper is. Um, very well-known theologian, obviously not that well-known in this class, but um, he speaks all over the world. He's written, I don't know, a hundred books. Um, he's one of the, he speaks all the pastor theologians of our time. Okay, get this. Listen, everybody. He speaks all over the world. When he was in middle school and high school, he could not give a speech in his class. He said he would walk up to his teachers at the beginning of school, of the school year, and say, hey, do you say, okay, well, I I'm sorry, do you have to speak in this class at all? Is there a speech I have to give? And they'd say, yeah. He'd say, okay, well, I can't do that. What's the best grade I can get without having to give a speech? They're like, a C? He's like, okay, that's fine. Because I cannot give a speech. He said his throat would literally close up when he got up in front of people and tried to speak. Your age, Piper said this, okay? Again, speaks all over the world. When he was your age, in high school, he could not get up. He would begin to have this kind of panic attack and not be able to do it. So these are some ways, some characteristics, some ways in which we would describe worry. But what I want us to do is also see from Matthew's anxiety, which we're going to talk about this more tomorrow, some ways in which Matthew 6 describes anxiety. The first, there's a sense in which anxiety refers to the future. Jesus Christ says, do not worry about tomorrow. Okay, so he's referencing the future, that we should not worry the future, okay? There's a sense in which worry can definitely describe our past. Okay, raise your hand if you've ever done anything or said anything really stupid. Raise your hand. Okay, and how many times after you said that stupid thing or did that stupid thing, Maybe a week later, you're, you could think back, did I say that? Or a year later, or five years later, you could think back and have some sort of anxiety over that stupid thing that you did. All right, so there's a sense in which our worry definitely is talking about the future, but our worry can also be dealing with the past, okay, and the present as well. So it's not solely do focus on the future. But then we also say Jesus Christ commands us do not worry. It is a command, which I know many of you are thinking, great, John, thanks. I was already worried, and now you're telling me it's a command not to worry. So I'm worried about my worry. I'm anxious about which, yes, anxiety. We do need to see that there's a sense in which, yes, Jesus is commanding us not to worry. You know, elsewhere in Scripture, we can think of Paul saying, be anxious for nothing. 
So there, there's a sense in which this is a command that we've got to wrestle with. Okay, to, but we'll unpack that a little bit more, like I said, tomorrow and then um, Thursday to see exactly what is being meant. Because the last thing that's encouraging that Jesus Christ says in Matthew 6 is he does not downplay the reality of worrying. As you look at that Matthew 6 passage, he ends saying, do not worry about tomorrow because sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He's saying there, there is enough trouble in each and every day. Each and every day has enough to to worry about, to be anxious about. So don't even start getting ahead of yourself thinking about all these other days. There's plenty to in with today. And that can be discouraging in some ways, but to me it's encouraging that Jesus isn't just like, what are you guys doing? Quit being so anxious. No, Jesus is lovingly saying, listen, don't worry about tomorrow. There's enough to deal with today. He's acknowledging that you are going to be tempted to worry. You are going to be tempted to be anxious. And so he's not just kind of saying we need to walk around, you know, he's not some spiritual just hippie kind of walk around telling everybody, hey, relax. There's nothing to be worried about. He's giving us a realistic idea of what it is like to be living in a broken world. So I think on this next slide, we're going to go back to the beginning to think, okay, where did our anxiety begin? Where did worry originate? So some of you, if you want to turn to Genesis 1, I don't know if everybody can see this up here. Genesis 1, and then we'll skip around uh, to 2, and then we'll get into Genesis 3 a little bit. So Genesis 1, verse 1, we read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we skip over to chapter 2, verses 7 uh, to 9. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So before we move on, what what I want us to do is to think about what was present in the garden besides Adam and Eve. I want you to help me think about, okay, what would have been present in the garden prior to sin entering creation, right? And what I'm trying to get you to do, to think about, I mean, one, most of us, if we've grown up in the herd, we're very familiar with these with these opening chapters of Scripture. We've heard these read before. We've heard these preached before and taught before. And sometimes we can can forget how strange it is for us to think about what would have been present in the garden because none of us have ever seen perfection. Right? We can read about it, as we just read. We can have future glory. We can kind of think about and know some of what's going to be in heaven, some of what isn't going to be in heaven, but none of us with our eyes have actually seen perfection. So just getting you to reflect a little bit, what would have been in the garden prior to sin coming into this world? Y'all raise your hands, tell me some things that would have been present. And not everybody at once. Yes. Talk really loud, please. Sorry. Okay, as we read in verse 9, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, good. Yes. 
Okay, the tree of life, okay. Yes? Say it again, sorry. Okay, a lot of really good fruit. Just think about that. Okay, maybe fruit that did not even have seeds in it, right? Are watermelon seeds a result of the fall? Because those are so annoying. Could we have just bitten into a watermelon and not have to spit, right? Maybe so a lot of really good fruit, yes. Animals, yes, good. Okay, fellowship with God. Unbroken fellowship with God, yes. Plants, good. Okay, you're doing very good. Hopefully the second hour will be this good, yes. What's that? Rivers, okay. So let's, th- let's think about this. Listen, um, and Randy, I think this is where my mind goes when I start to think about uh, what would have been in the garden. Uh, if you want to press that first slide, okay. How many of you saw Avengers Endgame? Anybody see Avengers Endgame? Okay. Do you remember where Thanos was picking fruit at the beginning? Which you do have to think about just that theme right there. Thanos, Thanos just wanted to return to the garden. He wanted to go back to a place that was simple, right? And we need to know, I mean, that's our heart's desire. We were, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but we were wired for the garden and for future glory. And so, yes, all of this um, vegetation that was there, maybe some fruit that we don't even know existed that isn't present today because of the fall. And as y'all said, the animal, entire, just all of animals. And what's crazy to think about is, I know this sounds kind of crazy, okay? Just imagine if I were to walk into a zoo with a lamb and just put it in the lion exhibit. That would be terrible, right? Okay, but see, what we have is a knowledge of the fall in us, right? There was a time where a lamb could walk right up in front of a lion and would not be devoured, Right? We have animals that we now label as predators that were probably not necessarily labeled predators back in the garden because nothing was killing each other. Right? The animals all just got along. And so we've got to think about back in this Genesis 1 and 2 period, so much has changed and shaped our minds because we, we are post-Genesis 3 that even the entire you know, animal kingdom and just again, plants, vegetation, everything has changed. Randy, on this, this next slide that I have, I mean, what movie is this? Okay, which, has the live action one come out yet, or is that this weekend? Anybody know? Is it out? Okay. So what, what, what's going on? Y'all remember the circle of life that they're singing? Um, does anybody know what group these guys are in, by the way? Okay, because they're just constantly distracting. Um, is you is yeah, youth leader in here? Anybody know these guys? Okay. Maybe that embarrassed them enough so they won't say anything else, but we'll see. Sorry, it's been kind of constant, so sorry to um, call them out. Okay, circle of life. Okay, I know I just dropped an awkward bomb on here. Let's all come back. It's okay. We've all done it before. Um, circle of life. Okay, does anybody know what the circle of life means? Can anyone tell me? Yes. Okay. Kind of keeps on repeating. How else will we describe the circle of life? Okay. Cycle of life and death. Okay. Um, Like I know this is a really happy part in the movie singing circle of life and everything. 
we've got to actually think what circle of life means. That means like animals would devour other animals. Other animals would die and they would decay into the ground and feed the soil. And so since sin has entered the world, we, we've got the circle of life going on now. Right? We've got plants changing. As I said, if you want to put the next slide up there, Randy, thorns and thistles. Those did not exist in Genesis 1 and 2. These are specifically referenced in Genesis 3. And as I heard a pastor point to the fact that our Savior Jesus Christ had a crown of thorns placed on his head. Um, and so just thinking of how all the vegetation has changed. I mean, I was in Colorado last week at RYM's high school conference, and I was sitting out on the, the deck, and I was looking at just the beauty of creation. But one thing I noticed were how many trees were just had fallen over on the ground. And thinking about the fact, like, trees didn't fall over in Genesis 1 and 2. They didn't decay and collapse. Um, and so just thinking of how vast our sin is, that oftentimes we don't think about just how far-reaching our sin has impacted all of creation. And so zooming in on Genesis 3, Randy, if you want to go there to this next section, what I want us to do before I read this, I want us to think about this, because again, these verses are fairly familiar uh, with us if we've grown up in the church, and as some of you present might have not grown up in the church, many of us, obviously so glad you're here, but these are familiar to, to many of us. And what I want you to, to think about as we're kind of setting up context here, if you were to give the Bible to an atheist, for example, and said, hey, read Genesis 1 and 2, and they read it. They came back to you and you said, okay, who's the main character? Who would they say is the main character of Genesis 1 and 2? God. I think I heard that. God. Okay, Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God. He was there. He created absolutely everything. And so it's clear as you read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God is the main character. He's doing absolutely everything, creating absolutely everything. But then we get to Genesis 3, 1, and God disappears. So you get to Genesis 3, verse 1, the main character just disappears. And you read about this new character, the serpent, in Genesis 1, 1. But the question I want you to think about, and I'm going to come back and answer this, is this. Where was God? Where was God? Because as we're about to get into, God walked up from somewhere. So my question is, where was God? I want you to wrestle with that. I'm going to come back and answer that. But Genesis 3, beginning in verse 8, says this, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now, I want to tell you two truths about every one of you in this room from this passage. But it's two things that are true of every single human on the face of the earth. But before I do that, I wanted to share a story with you. Um, I think it was late high school, maybe early college. One of my 
Good Friends was a manager of a movie theater. And one cool thing he would do was as part of just being a, a manager of the movie theater, he had to, you know, splice the film together for the, for the movie, and they would screen it on Thursday nights before the Friday showing, you know, when everyone would show up to the, to the movies. And so they would do that with new movies. And so he would invite us to come up on Thursdays after midnight when the theater was completely closed, and we would get to watch free new movies before they came out. And he would also, and I know this sounds kind of gross, but let me explain. He would also wheel in a garbage can filled with popcorn for us to eat out of. Now, just so you know, the garbage can was only used for new popcorn. It wasn't like this nasty garbage can that they just kind of put popcorn in there. It was used to hold all the popcorn. So it was a clean garbage can, popcorn in it. So we would just be sitting in the movie theater, watching new movies. No one else was in there. We'd have a garbage can filled with popcorn, and we would just eat popcorn the whole time. And then after the movie ended, which was probably like 2 in the morning or something like that, we would play sardines in the movie theater. How many of you know what sardines is? Raise your hands, okay? It's basically like reverse hide-and-seek, okay? One person would go and hide in the movie theater, and we would all stay in one place, and then after a certain amount of time, we would start to go looking for that one person. And if you found that person, you would hide with them. And so it was a little creepy, if you think about it. We were the only person in the movie, only person there. and then sometimes as you were walking around, you would realize, okay, I'm the only person left. Everybody else must have found the person, and they're hiding with this person. And so what we might not realize is that sometimes, whether it's hide-and-seek or sardines, there's an element of fear associated with that. That You know, if you were playing hide-and-seek and you hid, there was always that kind of anxiety of, okay, I can hear someone's footsteps coming. Did I hide good enough or not? They're not going to be able to find me. And so some may say, like, this might have been the very first game of hide-and-seek ever played. Adam and Eve thought they could hide from the omnipotent, omniscient creator God. Just a bunch of you, Randy, and they didn't do it. But here's the two things I want to tell you that are true of every one of you, Randy. If you want to put that next slide up there. Two truths. The first is this. You're all afraid. Every one of you in this classroom, every human on the face of the earth is afraid. You're all afraid of something. You're all afraid of someone. I mean, just thinking of all the things you could be afraid of. Maybe it's someone on this trip that can be mean to you, that can Maybe it's someone back home. I mean, think of, there's ways in which we kind of want to downplay this sometimes and be like, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of anything. Well, as we looked at this Genesis 3 passage, we saw, I mean, the word afraid was repeated twice in there. That after sin comes into creation, Adam says he's afraid. We know Adam and Eve's sin spread to us, and that means an aspect of our sin is that we're afraid. Now, I want to clarify and say, most likely, prior to Genesis 3, fear did exist. The fear of the Lord. We're commanded to be fearful of the Lord, to fear the Lord. That's repeated throughout Proverbs, as I heard Ed Welch say one time, that 
Uh, we're commanded to fear God. As sin comes into creation, it redirects our fear to so many other things. So as we're thinking of fear, if you think of fear as an umbrella, anxiety and worry is one aspect of fear that we have to deal with. I mean, think of all the phobias that are out there. Um, who out here is afraid of heights? Okay. Um, who out here is afraid of tight spaces? Claustrophobia. Started beating fast. Being buried alive. So see, some of you are just cringing and your hearts just started beating fast to think about that. How many of you are afraid of spiders? Yes, I am as well. All right, how many of you are afraid of clowns? Okay, Randy, do you want to put that picture up there? Does that scare some of you? Which is just free hugs, by the way, if anybody's interested. Um, Randy, you can press it again and get it off if you want to. So does anybody know, does anybody know what the technical term is for a fear of clowns? Yes. Good job. Cholerophobia? Is that right? Cholerophobia. Um, way to go. Um, I asked that question in Colorado. I said, what is the... What is the term for being afraid of clowns? And somebody said, normal. <laughs> like, who ever thought it was a good idea to have a clown to entertain children? It's terrible. I mean, they're terrifying. So, yes, afraid of clowns. So, thinking about, okay, what is it you're afraid of? Because we all are afraid. But then the second truth is this. You're all hiding. You are all hiding. Again, as we look back at that Genesis 3 passage, Adam says, I was afraid, so I hid. Right as sin came into this world, fear comes in, and the sense to hide becomes normal to all of us. So every one of you in this room, you're hiding. Um, there's a comedian who, who says this. He says, when you meet someone... They don't meet you, they meet your representative. When you meet someone, they don't meet you, they meet your representative. What that means is when people meet you, they don't actually meet you. They meet the person you want other people to think that you are. Whether that's you know, a certain personality some of you have to realize you're hiding behind your personality. You're hiding behind your academics. You can hide behind your athletics. You can hide behind all of these various things. But the real person is who you are up here. The real you is the you when you're in your room by yourself and no one else is looking. That's you. That's who you are. So we have to see that all of us are hiding. We're hiding in some way. We're hiding behind something. Oftentimes a very common one for us to hide in is our smartphone. Smartphones are a good thing. I'm not, I'm not bashing them. Um, but if you were to walk into a room filled with people and no one else was there, most of you would grab your phone because it's your safe place where you can hide. You can text your friends and say, hey, text me real quick so it can look like I'm texting. It's a place we can hide. We've got to see that. 
So, Rain, if you would switch to the next slide, kind of trying to sum all this up. What does all of this have to do with worry? Well, as I said, you're all afraid, and please let, hear, hear me say this carefully. There are valid things for you to be afraid of, okay? So as you hear me talking about you're all afraid, I'm not shaming you. I'm not guilt-tripping you. There is plenty to legitimately be afraid of in this world. There's all sorts of brokenness, all sorts of painful things that you will have to deal with. We'll talk about this more tomorrow. So please hear me say it's valid to be afraid, okay? The second thing, you're all hiding. What I also want to say is it is valid for you to want to hide, to have desires to hide. I mean, just for an example, let's say some of, one of you here, some of you here are bullied at school. So where you know, okay, if I walk down this hallway at school, these people are going to make me miserable. They mock me and they make fun of me every day of my life. Then it is a normal, it is normal for you to want to walk down this hallway where you don't have to see these jerks who make life miserable for you. So please know these are valid and good. Again, to have this fear at times, um, to have this anxiety and to want to hide from people that can make life miserable at times. But here's two other things I want to tell you. The first is, you have to know there is only one place for you to hide. Okay? Not one of many or one of five. There is only one true and ultimate place for you to hide. Okay, and the last point up here, is if you hide anywhere else, it will only create more anxiety. So please follow me. You're all afraid, you all hide, but there's only one true and ultimate place for you to hide. And if you hide in any other place, it's going to actually create more worry in your life. Because look, as I gave some of those examples of what you're, you're hiding, where you can hide, Here's what you need to think, and I'm about to be done, and in five minutes I'll finish up. It is 10.30 when we finish, right? 10.30. You see, when you get stressed out in life, or you're anxious from school, say you had a rough day at school, and you get home, and you just hide in YouTube. You just start to watch videos on YouTube. You thought, okay, life was tough today. I just want to watch some funny videos on YouTube. And of course, as you do that, you'll realize, wow, it's been three days and I've been in YouTube constantly just binge watching videos because you get in a YouTube black hole. I don't know if that's ever happened to you anymore. Um, or some of you, maybe it's, okay, life's been rough. I just want to escape to Hogwarts and I just want to read Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. Maybe a novel is a place you can hide, okay? It allows you to escape this world and to go into another world. Okay, look. That can be a good thing. That can be a thing where God has created, you know, those stories that we can escape to. But what I'm trying to tell you is that is not the ultimate place for you to hide in. That if that is how you often deal with your stress or that's how you you deal with your anxiety, ultimately that's like putting a Band-Aid over the problem. That ultimately there's only one place for us to hide in. And so that brings me back to that question I said I was going to answer. Where was God? Okay, 
listen, think back. And as I answer this, I want to answer this first and foremost because this reveals to us God's character. It tells us who God is. And then secondly, it can also help us with our worry. But asking that when we got to, again, Genesis 1 and 2, we read through that, and then we got to Genesis 3, God was walking up. Here's what I want you to think about. Adam and Eve had just sinned. Adam and Eve did the one thing God said not to do. They did it. They rebelled against him. They became his enemy. So they are now poisoned with sin. And here's what we know about God. God is righteous. God is pure. God is merciful. God is just. God is good. God cannot dwell in sin. So the reality is Adam and Eve did not hide from God. God hid from Adam and Eve. God, in his infinite grace and mercy, knew Adam and Eve would have been destroyed if they were in his complete presence. So God hid from them to protect them. He was not doing that to be harsh. He was not doing that to mock them. He was doing that to save their lives because they would have been destroyed. And then what else did God do after that moment? Even though they disobeyed, they disobeyed and did the one thing he said not to do, and he protected them from his eternal glory, he also clothes them, right? Because what did they put on themselves? Fig leaves. I don't know how much you know about fig leaves, but they're not all that great from shielding you from eternal, infinite glory. And so God says, I've got something better to cover you. And many of you know this was the first bloodshed in all of human history. God had to kill an animal to put uh, animal skins on Adam and Eve. And what many of you know is that this is ultimately pointing us to Jesus Christ, right? That there's bloodshed and God takes care of our fear. He takes care of where we need to hide. He gives us a place to hide. And so what I want you to know is that ultimately the one place we can hide is Jesus Christ. And I know that can sound very strange. Like how do we hide in Jesus Christ? What does that even mean to say that we hide in Jesus Christ? And that's something I want to unpack more tomorrow and then our last day together as we're thinking about our anxiety, as we're thinking about stress in our lives But I want to leave you with these two questions as you leave here today. Getting you to reflect on these two questions. First, what am I afraid of? And second, where am I hiding? I know these weeks are very busy. They're very full. But you could literally take 30 seconds to bullet point, what are some things I'm afraid of? Maybe these are things. Maybe these are people. But then also saying, okay, where am I hiding? What are some ways in which I hide to deal with my anxiety? So just to reflect on these a little bit, and then again, we'll be unpacking this more tomorrow and the next day. I know people are waiting out there. I need to go ahead and close this in prayer, and we can get out of here. So please bow your heads. Father, we thank you that you are exactly that. 
you're a good father. You're a father who is gracious, who pursues us even though we sin against you. You come after us, you love us, you're merciful to us. You did not turn your back on us in the midst of our rebellion. That even though we were your enemies, you came after us. And you gave us a place to hide. You have dealt with our fears. And you've done it through the finished work of your beautiful son, Jesus Christ. I pray as we continue to talk about our worry, that we would see your beauty manifested through so much of what stresses us out. That we would begin to reflect on that and see how you meet us in the midst of that and give us um, a way to deal with it. It's in your awesome son's name we pray, amen.